the last page has been turned on my most recent read. Okay, that's actually a little bit of an exaggeration this time. I am currently halfway through my current read and finished two books yesterday. I have a few books on pre-order, but their release isn't for a few weeks. And I am trying really, really hard to be a little more disciplined and read something else on my current overflowing TBR before I buy anything else. That's not going to work, more than likely. Anyway, it's another week and another book. As you know, I like to talk about different genres, and this is a book by a new-to-me author, and I believe that this may actually also be their first foray into a genre that is quickly becoming a favourite, and that is fantasy. I have actually added a few good books to my shelves over the last few days, thanks to a combination of double points at Waterstones, recommendations from Instagram friends, and Payday. And this latest read was one of them. I fell for the hype, and in this week's episode, you'll find out if book and hype were worth it. As I've already mentioned, this is a fantasy novel, and it's been so hyped up on social media that it's been pretty much impossible to miss if you ever lurk in the corners of Bookstagram, BookTok, or Booktube. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as we start a new year at Basquiat Warwick College and risk our lives to take part in the threshing as I delve into Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Yes, I am going in. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This book was on my shelf for a total of just three hours after it was delivered before I gave in to the urge to read it. In all fairness, I had just read The Excellence That Was Yellow Face by Rebecca F. Quang, and I wanted to keep my book high firmly in place. I had heard so much about this book before I caved to the peer pressure and bought myself a copy. Granted, this edition is not as beautiful as the limited edition Illumicrate or Fairy Loot ones, but I stripped off the loose leaf cover, as I always do, and got stuck in with the latest episodes of Sister Boniface playing in the background. I didn't exactly read this book in one sitting, though. I made it over 300 pages by around 2am and then had to close my eyes and get some sleep because I was exhausted. I spent the whole of the previous night sitting up with a sickly cat and something had to give. So that was, of course, my desire to read the book all in one go. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference, of course. And let's get started. I get the feeling this one is going to get long, so get comfortable. Welcome to the brutal and elite world of Basquiat War College. 
20-year-old Violet Sorengale was supposed to enter the scribe quadrant, living a quiet life among books and history. Now the commanding general, her tough-as-talons mother, has ordered Violet to join the hundreds of candidates striving to become the elite of Navarre, dragon riders. But when you're smaller than everyone else and your body is brittle, death is only a heartbeat away, because dragons don't bond to fragile humans. They incinerate them. With fewer dragons willing to bond than cadets, most would kill Violet to better their own chances of success. The rest would kill her just for being her mother's daughter, like Zayden Riorson, the most powerful and ruthless wing leader in the Riders' Quadrant. She'll need every edge her wits can give her just to see the next sunrise. Yet with every day that passes, the war outside grows more deadly, the kingdom's protective warts are failing, and the death toll continues to rise. Even worse, Violet begins to suspect leadership is hiding a terrible secret. Everyone at Basgiath has an agenda, so sleep with one eye open, because once you enter, there are only two ways out. Graduate or die. When a book literally starts with the sentence, a dragon without its rider is a tragedy, a rider without their dragon is dead. The only way you can go is onward, literally. Violet Sorengale has been learning her entire life. A girl who is more delicate than most, born with a disorder that has left her vulnerable to injury. She has grown up with the knowledge that she is going to absolutely, definitely follow in her father's footsteps and become a scribe. However, the day before conscription is to begin, she is informed by her mother that she is not to shame their name and follow her two siblings and join the rider's quadrant, where those who will go into battle after their third year end up. Unlike the majority who find themselves standing at the edge of the parapet on conscription day, Violet has not been training to go to war. She has been training to write up the history of her people, so she is ill-prepared to cross treacherous terrain and put her life at risk every single day. That is exactly what her mother expects of her. With her sister's support, she heads to what she is sure will be her doom, a light backpack over her shoulders, wearing a dragon scale enhanced vest and a pair of tough walking boots. Myra, her older sister, is determined that she will see Violet at least survive this first deadly task. Before she crosses, Myra imparts two pieces of knowledge that Violet is encouraged to follow. One, find Dane Atos, her childhood friend, someone who can help her survive her first year. And two, avoid Zayden Riorson at all costs, for this son of the dead rebel leader will do his best to kill her purely because of who her mother is. The moment those words are imparted, you just know they are headed into trouble with a capital T. Although what that trouble is going to, what form that trouble is going to take, who knows. Before crossing the parapet, Violet meets two other hopefuls, Dylan and Rhiannon. They are as aware of the risks as anyone else, but unlike Violet, they want to join up. They are looking forward to the challenge and actually chose their path. They weren't forced into it. They could have chose any and this was what they decided on. Violet is crossing the parapet when she witnesses young, confident Dylan fall hundreds of feet to his death. One moment he's there, the next he's gone. This will not be the last death we witness and despite only knowing Dylan for moments, Violet is besieged with grief which forces her to carry on though struggles with it, not that she wasn't already. Moments later, behind her, Jack shows his face. 
Jack is evil through and through. Actually, he proves a great contrast to the man who you are meant to assume is the villain of the piece. He shows no remorse as he threatens Violet because she is smaller than him. He actually tells her he will take pleasure in killing her. And because of her size, she is considered far more vulnerable. He threatens to kill her even as he is throwing another student from the parapet. From the moment he appears... You really want him to get what he's due, and that's not a good due. <laughs> of course, the horrors aren't over once the parapet has been crossed. For once that is done, training will begin. And despite the fact that there are instructors, it is a free-for-all. The weak will get culled, so they aren't a threat to the strong. Violet, considered the weakest of them all, is immediately a target for all and sundry, not only because of who her mother is, but also because she is much smaller and therefore much weaker than they are. She ends training with a broken arm and a dislocated shoulder. Having followed at least half of her sister's instructions and located Dane, Violet's feelings are conflicted. He is horrified that she has found her way across the parapet to the rider's quadrant when she should be safe somewhere in the archives. And ignoring the fact that she is only where she is because her mother ordered it so, he spends a considerable amount of time trying to undermine these instructions, speaking with instructors behind Violet's back, trying to get her moved. Yes, he is that controlling. And while I know he's meant to be there as the understanding and comforting friend, this actually grates on me more than a little bit, to be fair. All the while this is happening, Jack is doing his moustache-twirling villain act, waiting for the opportunity to strike. And Zayden Riorson is watching from the wings, though doing nothing to either prove he is the bad guy or the one to watch. Though Violet does a lot to help herself, following the advice of her dead brother Brennan, she finds a book that he sent to their sister Myra when she started her training... It is thanks to the help of the friends she makes, Rhiannon, Sawyer, Aurelie and Rydok, that she manages to survive through the many classes that would otherwise have ended her. The training they are put through is brutal, but the lessons they are learning are valuable if they are to survive the war they are going to be shoved out into when they graduate, because that's all they've got to look forward to. Riders are ride or die, and they essentially are the front line so the minute battle commences they are sent out there and it doesn't matter if they come back or not. It is thanks to her ingenuity that she manages to defeat a number of the people she has put up against in combat training using her knowledge of poisons and potions to help her weaken them to the point that her speed is more useful than it would otherwise be. On one of her trips outside the dorms at night to collect the herbs she needs for her poisons she comes across Zayden, Imogen and other students who have been marked as traitors by the actions of their parents. They are illegally gathered, but as she watches, Violet realises that this is nothing more than a way for them to offer support to others who have been placed in a situation not of their own making. When Zayden catches her, she promises him that she will never speak a word of it to anyone, and he tells her that he now owes her a favour. This moment spells a huge change in their dynamic. UST has nothing on these two. It leaps off the page to burn the eyelashes. Despite having now been warned multiple times by Dane, her sister and others that not only is Zayden out for her blood, but he's also moments from becoming the next evil king, she can't seem to stay away from him. 
and he seems to now be having the exact same problem. Everything the first years have been learning has been leading up to threshing, the moment when they meet and are potentially paired with a dragon, though it's made clear from the start that there are more riders than dragons, and the dragons can actually choose to pair or not. As the students walk through the hall observed by 100 intimidating dragons, any of which could decide to turn you to dust in a moment, Violet follows the instructions they have all been given. Not making eye contact, keeping up casual conversation with her friends and fellow students, giving the dragons a chance to get to know who she is when she observes a stunning yet clearly out of place golden dragon. This dragon is far too small to be ridden and Violet knows it, but still she keeps looking. The true threshing begins when the students are sent out to capture their chosen dragons, should they want to be caught. But Violet is sure she won't be chosen, she is weak, she is fragile, and so she is wondering when she overhears four of the less friendly students, including the wonderful Jack, talking about killing the golden dragon because such a creature would be a curse and shouldn't therefore be allowed to live. Driven to protect purely because she knows what it is to be considered useless due to her size, Violet takes on all four men in battle, with only her small daggers as protection. It seems as though it's all going to hell in a handbasket, and these could very well be her last moments, with Zayden watching from the back of his own powerful dragon. The rules don't allow for him to interfere, for the threshing is another opportunity to cull the weak. It's a free-for-all, and this moment ensures the riders who survive are the best. Things take a turn when, with a loud roar, Tan, a black who hasn't been seen for years, joins the fray, protecting the small golden dragon and aiding Violet in her fight. When the threshing is over, Violet is paired with not one dragon, but two, and this is only the beginning. From here on, things are only going to get more interesting as there are many secrets to uncover and the battle hasn't even begun. When I ordered this book after hearing about it pretty much everywhere, I honestly thought that it must have been out for a while. But it was actually only released a little over a month ago and since that point, it has appeared on every single platform I belong to. With that being the case, I thought that finding reviews might be a little harder. But no, this book has been reviewed by so many people that it made me realise the marketing machine has been super effective for Fourth Wing. Either Pieck's team has been working overtime or they have simply sent the word out to the right people. I have to admit that until I actually sat down to plan this week's episode, I had intended to review something else entirely. Fourth Wing has been everywhere and therefore I thought, do I really need to review this? But then I sat down to write and rather than the book I had been planning to talk about, this one simply stuck out on the shelf and I realised that as my most recent completed read, I would be able to talk about it candidly. It seems that everyone who has read this one has an opinion one way or the other. So why not add my views into the mix? I do want to add here that whatever the outcome of my reading, 
I never let the opinion of others sway me. I find the reviews that others post to be interesting and varied, especially when it comes to books that have been marketed in such a way that they're intended to be popular. But we are all different and we won't feel the same way about every book. As always, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to deciding on a new book, having reviews from both ends of the spectrum is important. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be swayed by the views of others, whatever their opinion, because you are the person doing the reading after all. But sometimes they can help you to determine whether now is the right time to be reading a specific book, especially if sensitive topics have been included in the text. Kayla gave the book one star. And her review was one of the shortest and only spoiler-free reviews that I managed to find on Goodreads with this rating. She said, Did not finish. I'd like to know if I'm actually reading the same book as everyone else. This is the worst piece of literature I've read in a long while. I got to chapter eight. Couldn't go any further. First off, the endless use of the F-bomb is tacky and lazy, if you ask me. So many great descriptive words, and all this author can do is spout curse words. Curse words do not a personality make. Neither is being a horny 13-year-old. A hot violet is supposed to be 20 years old, but it seems more like she is 12. I mean... The scar that marks his eyebrow only makes him hotter, flaming hot, scorching hot, gets you in trouble and you like it level hot. Who talks like that? I'll tell you, tweens. I think I'm rooting for the other side of this conflict too. What kind of battle strategy is it to encourage the deaths of dozens of people as an entrance exam, then to be okay with it when your cadets are killing each other? Let's just kill off a huge percentage of our able-bodied young men and women every year. Yup, sound strategy. The big bad school is so scary. It's incredibly cliche, predictable and trite in all the worst ways. Violet's only personality trait is that she's super fast and smart. And the reason her mother tossed her into the school in the first place is super unbelievable. It's just a weak book with weak and convenient reasons to push the plot forward. This book came out on the 2nd of May and in that short period of time it's gathered almost 47,000 ratings and just under 12,000 full reviews. The ratings are definitely more skewed on the positive side with 94%, yep you did not mishear me, 94% of those being 4 and 5 star reviews. So it's proved to be incredibly popular with readers and reviewers alike. Less than 2% of reviewers disliked the book enough to give it a low score. I am not someone who will judge someone else for their individual views of a novel because there have been plenty I've read and not enjoyed while others raved about them to the heavens to immediately spring to mind. What I don't like is when people are so vicious in their assessment that they are judging the people who don't share their views for having poor judgment. And that is something I really don't think is right. Okay, so you don't like a book and will have your reasons for it. I get it. But judging the people who enjoyed it is is wrong. One review actually states, There's a valuable lesson to be learned here, and it's that when you see the entire Goodreads community read and five-star the same book, you run as fast as you can in the other direction. Everyone has a right to think what they like about any book. We live in a democracy, or at least most of us do. And for that reason alone, I look at most reviews and say, that's your opinion and welcome to it. 
However, as I have already said, when you start to judge others for having a different opinion to you, you're actually denying them the right to feel what they want. And thus ends my TED talk. Apart from saying, if you don't like something or you love something, that's great. But don't expect everyone else to share your view. We are all entitled to our own opinion on things and criticising someone for not sharing yours is not the done thing. As it stands, the book has an incredibly positive and impressive overall score of 4.71, which is one of the highest scores for a book I have reviewed so far. And also, it turns out, one of the highest Goodreads scores there is at present on the platform. The fact that this book has only been out for just over a month at this point makes the review score and the number of reviews both incredibly impressive and a testament to the fantastic marketing campaign that must have been put on. Though I have to admit that all of my information about the book came from other people on Instagram and I'm not sure how much of that was because of press campaigns. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or a TV programme, Every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it. So all of these reviews are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review, especially if you're not sure. Though, to be honest, I would probably ask a friend first if you can, because everyone's opinion is different and your friends may share similar viewpoints to you. Finding a five-star review was really easy unsurprising given how many people absolutely adored this book. Luckily, I didn't need to look far to find one that was complimentary and not of essay length. There were so many incredibly flattering reviews to choose from and I loved reading them. But honestly, I felt that if I chose one of the extended essays, it would be a bit too much. The positive essay reviews gave the negative pull-apart ones a run for their money. That is for certain. Jessica wasn't initially sure about picking up the book, but if her five-star review is anything to go by, she's glad she caved to the pressure and got a copy. She said, I have seen this book everywhere and finally picked it up when friends told me it was their favourite book of the year. I started reading it and was immediately sucked in. This is new adults, so the characters are in their early 20s and attend a school training dragon riders. I haven't been pulled into a story like this in a long time. I couldn't stop thinking about it when I wasn't reading it and needed to pick it up again. The dragon world was so interesting and I loved how action-packed this was and how the author wasn't afraid to kill off characters from the beginning. And the romance? Obsessed. I was thriving when there was a touch or even a glance. And the dragons? They were definitely some of my favourite characters. I loved the dynamic between certain characters and their dragons. And the end? I need book two now. To me, this was definitely worth the hype and you need to pick it up. Reading through the views of others, especially when everyone is so different, is a fascinating way to spend some time. Though I have to admit that the negative views on this book came across as particularly brutal. One reviewer actually asked what threats were made in order for reviewers to give the book five stars, while another begged the writer to go back in time and never write another word. There is nothing like a review to show how different and similar people can be. As with anything, when considering the reviews that a book has been given, you have to take a lot into account. 
This book, more than many that I have read and reviewed on being bookish in recent months, proves that every single reader is going to find something different in a book, whether good or bad. Some will defend a book to their last breath, while others will pull it apart to prove why no one should like it. I find it interesting that books can be so divisive, but everyone has their passion, I guess. I am never going to say that I would defend a book to the death, but I will defend a person's right to have their own views on it. Of course, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves a comment on a website, so we have to take each review written with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? Okay, I am not normally one for hyped-up books. It took me several years to get around to reading Harry Potter. The Hunger Games wasn't on my radar when it was first released. And I still haven't read further than 50% through A Court of Mist and Fury. So this could easily have passed me by. Despite the fact that so many people on my Instagram feed were talking about it, holding up their beautiful special editions and talking about how this was the best book they'd read all year, still it hadn't grabbed me, at least for a few weeks. In fact, it was still so far off my radar that when I made my weekend order for books I wanted at Waterstones with their double points, this book wasn't one I picked off my wish list. In fact, it wasn't even on my wish list. Of course, the following day, I had momentary regret, so I went to the online shop named after a river, please don't judge me, and ordered a copy, sure that I would leave it on the shelf until I'd read through a number of other books that had already been shipped and unpacked. The book sat on my dining table for as long as it took me to read to the end of Yellow Face, which is another book I would definitely recommend, and Funnily enough, Yellowface actually highlights many things I have already said about negative reviews of popular novels in this book. By 10pm, I was two hours into reading, having completely forgotten about dinner in my eagerness to start. And this is why I need a keeper. I know that a lot of the negative reviews were saying, this book stole from Game of Thrones, or this plot points from Harry Potter, and this is from Divergent. But personally, I didn't see the biggest links to the first two. I can't comment on the third because I haven't read it. I also feel that any comparison made to The Hunger Games is incredibly weak. Violet is forced into the position she is in because her mother is power-hungry and incredibly controlling, while Katniss chooses to volunteer to save her younger sister. Violet observes that she hasn't seen the human side of her mother since her father's sudden death, and it seems that by the point of our story, any desire to follow her deceased husband's wishes has faded with his memories. It would be easy to say that Violet is something of a Mary Sue. Sure, she is intelligent, she is delicate and pretty, she is quick to adapt, and despite the fact that she has been flung into a situation she neither wanted nor anticipated, she doesn't go cry in a corner and pitch a hissy fit that toddlers the world over would cringe about. That her mother puts her youngest daughter in such a situation admittedly made me shake my head more than a bit. She knows that she is potentially sending her youngest child, who has spent her entire life with her head in a book, to her death. And in a pretty grisly way. 
but she doesn't flinch away from it, simply threatens her and pushes her out of the nest. General Sorengale is admittedly nothing more than a peripheral character in the book and a bully. She is a tool to get Violet to where she needs to be in order for the story to continue. It's as though she put her child in this situation because she always felt left out of her life. But most of me just thinks it's because she's a witch with a capital B who needs to take a good look in the mirror and realise that she's not a very nice person. Okay, so she's a woman in a position of power and can't show any weakness, but she could have just left Violet where she was and allowed her to do what she was destined to, at the beginning anyway. She would still be serving Navarre, just in a different way. Anyhow, less of the awful General Sorengale, we were talking about Violet and her Mary Sue tendencies before we got waylaid. Yes, they do exist. And the fact that she does adapt to her situation and, despite her shortcomings, is able to prove herself does give her some of those Bella Swan qualities. However, I do think that the fact she doesn't become a superb flyer, a combat-ready queen who defeats everyone with this incredible strength that she develops from nowhere, so suddenly you'd blink and miss it, means that she has a little bit more balance. She has grit and is ready to do the work that will get her through the battles she knows she'll face if she manages to get past the first challenge, crossing a dangerous, slippery parapet. As someone who is terrified of heights, I might add, I know darn well I would have fallen before taking my first step, so go for her grit. Anyway, she faces all of these challenges with the thought in her head that she might not survive the next one, even if she gets through this one. She knows that being her mother's daughter, there is already a target on her back, and being small and slender puts her in the position of being weak, and therefore someone who needs to be done in before she puts the rest of the students at risk. Much has been made of the fact that there is representation for the differently abled in the book, and though it's never spelt out explicitly, we know that Violet isn't only delicate because she's smaller than the majority of other students. Several mentions are made by her and other characters that she can cope with the challenges of the college because she's in constant pain. There are references to her ligaments and her skin and through these, despite hating to make assumptions, I am going to guess that Yaros is indicating that Violet has Ellis danlos syndrome or this universe's version of it. As much as I enjoyed this book, and I did, enough that I would probably have pulled an all-nighter were it not for the fact that I'd done that the night before, through no choice of my own. I am not oblivious to the fact that there are faults within the plot and the writing. However, pacing is certainly not one of them. This book follows Violet and a number of other students as they experience a year at the War College, through the battles and the training and internal conflicts of which there are many, one thing that I loved about the way that Yaros created her characters is that while some of them are just shadows hovering in the background, simple names that are sometimes read on a register of the dead, there are others like Imogen, Rhiannon, Liam, Garrick, Sawyer, Jack and Bodie who are given a backstory and an important part to play in Violet's experience. Because let's not kid ourselves here, Violet is our central protagonist and every other character is there to be a part of her story. Unlike several of the characters who die in the first tournament of the Hunger Games series, the fact that anyone can be the next victim of a vicious and competitive student immediately places higher stakes on the story, because you get to know them and who they are. 
Even the first death we get to read about has an impact because we know who Dylan is. We know why he decided to cross the parapet, why he chose the rider's quadrant and what he has waiting for him at the end. Though everyone who has picked the book up, even if they haven't yet read it, knows that dragons have a very important plot to play in the story. They are, after all, all over the cover, no matter which version you've managed to acquire. Violet's own encounters don't start until almost midway through the book. And it's at this point we are introduced to the grumpy and somewhat sarcastic Tan and his small golden sidekick, Andana, who has the characteristics of an eager little sister who always wants to get involved in the fun she's not yet old enough for. The personality that was given to these two gave me many chuckles. I loved Andana as I read through the conversations that Violet started to have with them and the way that her own personality seemed to come out even more as they continued to talk telepathically. As with so many of the fantasy novels that have been released for a new or young adult audience, the love triangle comes into play. Personally, I would say that this is more new adult targeting a slightly older audience especially when taking the extensive use of the f word and pretty detailed sex scenes into account there is no need for me to say this is a spoiler talking about the love triangle as it's obvious from the moment violet and zayden meet that something pretty intense is going to happen is it predictable absolutely 100% there was no way I thought she was going to fall for anyone else from the moment Violet is warned off by her sister Mira. I just remembered her voice drops and I lean in my heart jumping at the urgency in her tone. Stay the hell away from Zayden Riorson. It's even more obvious when mere moments later on the page Violet sets her eyes on him for the first time. He's tall with windblown black hair and dark brows. The line of his jaw is strong and covered by warm, tawny skin and dark stubble. And when he folds his arms across his torso, the muscles in his chest and arms ripple, moving in a way that makes me swallow. And his eyes, his eyes are the shade of gold-flecked onyx. The contrast is startling, jaw-dropping even. Everything about him is. His features are so harsh that they look carved and yet they're astonishingly perfect like an artist worked a lifetime sculpting him, and at least a year of that was spent on his mouth. He's the most exquisite man I've ever seen. What about any of that makes it sound as though she's going to stay away from him, even knowing that he's going to do his utmost to not only make her life a nightmare, but he also wants to kill her because of who her mother is and what she did to his own family. Everything about these two spells disaster and pain and heartbreak, but whatever their intentions, fate has something else planned for them. We are made to want Zayden from the very beginning, almost as though we are being brainwashed into believing that this morally grey character is not all that bad. Sure, he wants our heroine dead, but that doesn't make him bad. It makes him protective of those who have been forced into the situation they're currently in. This book truly is a case of the sins of the father are visited upon the son, especially in Zayden's case. He has every reason to resent Violet's mother, but the more we get to see his actions through Violet's eyes, the more we start to see that something doesn't quite add up. Of course, it may be that we're being blinded by her passion for him, and given how she constantly describes him as beautiful, gorgeous and hot, that's sort of understandable. 
Seriously, though, I am the girl who wanted Angel only when he was Angelus and preferred Spike way before he had his soul. The whole Spike and Buffy thing was just big fat no for me. That's exactly who Zayden Riorson is. He is someone who has questionable morals and motives. But Violet is looking beyond all of that because he's pretty. I'm not sure what it is about this book because I don't have literary boyfriends outside of Sorensen Carlyle and Fitzwilliam Darcy and neither of those are really morally grey though Darcy is, to be fair, not the nicest person on the planet but Zayden Riorson is something else entirely. I am not going to gush about him, I promise. Of course, no triangle is complete without the third And as with almost any YA or NA novel, that third has to be someone who is from our female protagonist's past. In this instance, it's a man-child who has been Violet's closest friend since they were both really young. Dane is, initially at least, there to keep an eye on her, to make sure she survives for as long as possible. He also does his best to interfere. Yeah, we know he's trying to protect her, and initially it feels as though he's doing it to save her life. However, the more you look into his behaviour and the way that he almost manipulates her into his way of thinking, the more I realised, personally, that he was not this great guy who was doing anything for her benefit. At the start, I thought that Dane would be her safe haven, the one she turned to for advice, protection and perhaps a bit of fun, though she had been warned against that by her sister. But then Violet gets a bit of a wake-up call. Dane is the classic third corner of the triangle, and make of that what you will. Ultimately, Fourth Wing is a fast-paced, action-packed 500 pages that you will either love or loathe. It's kind of like Marmite in that respect. I was admittedly surprised that I liked it as much as I did because hyped novels aren't normally my thing. As far as I'm concerned, though, this lived up to everything I had been told and comparisons to other books aren't going to make me change my mind. Will I read anything else by Rebecca Yaros? I'm happy to say that the sequel to Fourth Wing, titled Iron Flame, is due for release at the beginning of November, so for those of you who are waiting, it's not that long now. In all likelihood, as I have done with previous series, I will read this again slightly before the sequel, so the plot is fresh in my head. Though I am really happy that the second book is coming relatively quickly, I am not sure how I feel about the announcement that there will be more in the series. Sometimes less is more, you know? I am someone who often feels as though one book is not enough and desperately call for a sequel. See my comments about Law by Alexandra Bracken. But I don't like the idea of something being drawn out so long that what I loved about it no longer exists. And here I am thinking about the Southern Vampire series by Charlene Harris and The Dark Hunters by Sherilyn Kenyon, both of which I felt went on too long. I have seen a few who have read Fourth Wing go on to read her romances, but I'm not sure if I am going to be one of them. Give me a bit of time to make up my mind. If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are quite a few books I could recommend here. There are a lot of young adult and new adult books that cover similar themes and include plot points such as the love triangle and triumph against adversity. 
books such as The Hunger Games series by Suzanne Collins, Divergent by Veronica Roth, and A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. However, when I started reading this, the first series I thought of is actually by a lesser-known author I probably wouldn't have encountered were it not for a book tour I did in 2022. That series is also focused on dragon riders who have to battle against an unknown enemy. Right now, you can get hold of two of the books in this series, and I would honestly recommend them both as they are really well written. They are also indie published. The series is called The Sparks Trilogy by Kerry Law. The first book was released in 2020 and is called The Sky Riders. The second book was released in November 2022 and is called The Rider's Quest. Much like Violet, our central protagonist, Amy Wood, is different. She is half albino, cast out by her town for fear that she is cursed. And she battles to become a sky rider, desperate to find somewhere she will finally belong. So these two books are my recommendations if you're looking for something like Fourth Wing to read while you're waiting for Iron Flame to come out this November. I've been lucky enough to have a few days off this week and they were well earned. I do wish that I had used a couple more and had the whole week because I can only imagine how many books I could have got through and hopefully enjoyed but you live and learn, right? As I mentioned a little earlier, I spent a bit of money on adding some new books to my collection thanks to the double point sale that Waterstones offered for the late Maybank holiday that we enjoyed in the UK, though they aren't talking to me at this moment, so it may be a while before I do anything more than just admire how they look as new additions to my bookcase. I am never going to be someone that says no to more recommendations, even though I admittedly almost cried when I got a NetGalley recommendation through for a YA book about the three fates this morning, because the list of books I actually must read over the next two weeks is close to unmanageable. I say close, it's not quite there yet. That having been said... Despite the fact that my TBR is a considerable size, seriously, it's probably about five foot in height. I don't want to restrict myself. So if you do have any recommendations, whether it's for books you've read or books you just want to hear me talk about in my spoiler-free way, send them on over. I am always interested in being introduced to new books and to new authors. You can send me an email at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram, and I will be sure to check them out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read, and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, that's it for this week, and thank you for sitting with me and listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family, and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week as I actually have three books to read in readiness for my next episodes. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.